My family and I right now are in a season that I think many families are uh, across our community and even across our nation. Um, we're holding holiday summits. Are you having holiday summits in your home where you try to sensitively negotiate where you'll be spending the holidays? <laughs> Whose homes you'll be with? Uh, which part of the family you're going to be visiting? If you'll be visiting? <laughs> in our house, those conversations quickly turn to food. We oftentimes in the summit, so we quickly go to what we're going to be eating. And so we're in those sensitive conversations right now. And I have to admit at this point that for me, and this happens every year, my heart holds what I consider upon reflection an unrealistic and even mythic status for a very particular kind of holiday food and one that is quite exotic and which I've never actually eaten. The turducken. That audacious symphony of poultry. That convergence of wing. That turducken, I see that every year in the catalogs, and I see it online, I think, we should get a turducken. We haven't had one yet. Happy holidays. <laughs> well, this year, I want to add to uh, this picture of turducken. I, I discovered something that is a potential rival for holidays, uh, and particularly a rival in my own imaginative space. It's one that Kelly Ripa, yes, that Kelly Ripa, said is pretty much the greatest thing that has happened to me besides the birth of my children. <laughs> what was she referring to? Do we have a picture? Can we put the picture up there? The pie cakin. <laughs> <laughs> Pecan pie on the bottom, pumpkin pie in the middle, spice cake on top, all layered together with cinnamon buttercream and topped with apple pie filling. <laughs> they ship nationally. Of course, this is all a curious way to begin a sermon this morning, particularly as we get ready outside the holiday season. But this morning, our text is a bit of a pie cakin, or a turducken, if you will. As you look at it, you see there's a number of different pieces that are all stacked together here in this reading. And they kind of, they kind of form these, these layers, and I might add rich layers. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to scratch at one of those layers, and we're going to see what happens. So let's scratch at one of the layers, and it's a big one. Jesus Christ crucified. We're going to scratch at that layer. Paul says in verse 14, May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, this is big in Galatians. The cross itself has been looming large throughout the entire series, throughout the text. We've seen it in almost every chapter of Galatians. There's been some reference uh, to Christ and Christ's cross. Paul can't stop talking about the cross. You remember at the very beginning, we see in verse 1 that Jesus was raised from the dead. Of course, you have to be dead to be raised from the dead. Uh, a cross will do that. That Jesus gave himself for our sins. Uh, verse 4, a reference to the giving of himself on the cross. That was the OG, if you will. Old gospel. That was the old gospel. That was the original gospel that Paul proclaimed to these Galatians. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified, as we heard in chapter 3. And we also learned that throughout Galatians, the gospel itself or the, the cross itself gives shape to the persons and the community of the church as well. Paul himself has been crucified with Christ in chapter 2. We are redeemed from the curse of the law by Christ becoming a curse as we hear in chapter 3 verse 13. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires as we heard in chapter 5. 
And not only is this often repeated, this idea of the cross, Jesus Christ crucified, when it comes to the cross, Paul boasts in it. And that's what we hear right now in chapter 6. That's a strange thing to say in the first century. About 40 years ago, F.F. Bruce observed in his commentary on the book of Galatians, it is difficult after 16 centuries and more during which the cross has been a sacred symbol to realize the unspeakable horror and loathing which the very mention of or thought of the cross provoked in Paul's day. In fact, polite Roman uh, company at that time in conversation wouldn't even discuss the cross. That word for cross wouldn't even show up in conversation when you're having polite conversation. The crucifixion wasn't something to revel in. It's not anything anybody would boast in. So why bring it up in Galatians? Why talk about it so much? Why does Paul build his ministry and his whole identity as a Christ follower around this sense of the cross? Well, this might help. In July of 1961, how could July of 1961 help this? But in July of 1961, the Green Bay Packers, yep, those Green Bay Packers, they gathered for the first day of training camp. The last game of the previous season, they were in the championship game and they lost, even though they outrushed and they had more first downs than the Philadelphia Eagles, they still lost the championship 17 to 13 to those Philadelphia Eagles. The first day of training camp this next year would be an important one for setting the tone and turning the page to the new season to kind of get the bad taste out of your mouth, be able to figure out how you're going to go forward. And legendary coach Vince Lombardi gathered the team together at the start of that training camp, and here were these professionals. They know football. They know how to play the game. So he gathers them together, and he takes a football, and he legendarily speaks to them. We know this story comes down to us. He holds it out, and he says, gentlemen... This is a football. He goes back to basics. He goes to the fundamentals. He says we have to start over if we're going to do this right. Well, you better believe that the next season they won the championship. It was like 37-0. For Paul and the Jesus community, Jesus Christ crucified is central to the Christian faith. It's fundamental. These are the basics. You miss this one and you miss something important and that's an understatement so paul takes them back to basics he says ladies and gentlemen this is a cross <laughs> let me tell you about it he takes them back there and from jesus christ crucified we find our sense of who we are how we got here and where we're going and that's what paul's going to say to them in galatians and recognizing jesus christ crucified is the means and the mode for our inclusion we can affirm with Paul that new creation is everything, as we hear in our text. That when the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, that marked a turning point in history. That that changed and inaugurated what was the promised age to come and will be fully realized at some future point. And with this new age, the former ways of sorting ourselves... Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, free, whatever categories you want to come up with in culture, the ways that we identify ourselves and stack ourselves, that those things all become irrelevant because of who we are in Christ, that we become one people, a single Israel of God, Gentiles and Jews joined together in one shared faith, 
people of all walks, socioeconomic backgrounds, political affiliations, whatever you might come up with, that we come together in our one Jesus community because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, every single one of us, and collectively. And that kind of thinking changes the game, doesn't it? Doesn't that change the way our conversations go? Doesn't it change the places and the directions and the focus and the vision that we have? And it changes the idea for us, and it transforms our thinking to say that any kind of inside initiation right, that that begins to look more like a distraction to faithful community. Of course, recognizing that Jesus Christ crucified is the model for our community also changes things. We see here that this idea at the beginning of chapter 6 in our reading of being ones committed to restoration of sisters and brothers that find themselves in error and bearing one another's burdens, that these type of things seem very appropriate if the model before us is of the self-giving Christ, the one who goes humbly to the cross, who goes willingly to sacrifice and to suffer on our behalf. So what then would be the reason for withholding my love from my sisters and my brothers and my neighbors? I can't come up with any when I see that Jesus Christ crucified is the central message of the church. Jesus Christ crucified is a powerful and central image for the church that we are not to lose sight of. We hear that again in Hebrews when the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 12, we are fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And more than one commentator, when they reflected on this particular text, they drew inspiration from a very famous hymn. Talked about Isaac Watts's When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And you'll remember the beginning of how that hymn starts. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Jesus Christ crucified gives us not only who we are, it tells us about how we are to live as a community and as persons that, in that community. I read an article in the last couple of weeks uh, from a seminary publication that recounted the experience of a local pastor. Uh, Kyle Don, who pastors in Bremerton, uh, was on a flight that was taking off from Charlotte and was headed to Seattle. And, and as you can imagine on flights, I know we have a number of folks in our congregation who work in the, in the airline industry, and, and many of us uh, travel from time to time, some for work and some uh, just for leisure, but we've been on planes and, and we've gone, and this is, might be one of the more frightening experiences someone might have, that Kyle was on the plane uh, with his wife, and the engine blew up on one of the wings. And it was a loud sound, and then there was a lot of commotion inside the plane. He says that people were wailing and sobbing when the pilot announced that they would be having a crash landing. Could you imagine that? I hope you can imagine that. What a scary, scary ordeal. Kyle says uh, that in the end, the plane didn't end up crashing. There was actually a moment where he shouted out uh, to those gathered on the plane. He kind of gave them a little miniature 30-second gospel presentation. And he was talking with his neighbor who was seated beside him about where she was at uh, in regards to faith. But he notes this, one of the turning points in, in this entire episode for him was that it wasn't long after they landed that people went back to life as normal. That people went back to their cell phones, their music, 
went back to check their social media, and they were in conversations with one another like it hadn't happened. That the wailing and the sobbing and the fears, the life and death fears that they were experiencing, that that was just a passing thing. And so I share that here not to get you to hear a 30-second gospel presentation this morning, but just as we close here and we close this chapter on Galatians, how easy it is for us, every single one of us, to go back to life as usual. This series, this Freedom Series on Galatians, I think one of the challenges for me personally has been that there's been places in my own heart where they've been opened up because of what I've heard and studied in Galatians during the season. I hope that's been the case for you as well as you read. Let me offer some of these in closing. One of them here is this idea of becoming a Jesus community, where that Jesus Christ crucified shapes us as people, as God's people here in this community. And how different that is the way that we live. Um, My own sense of generosity, my own sense of giving of myself has expanded. I think one of the great encouragements coming in this morning is if you can you walk through that space, the narthex space there, and and not look at that pile of groceries out there that's going to be distributed to the food bank, and you see that it's an awesome display of generosity and care for this community. Let me add to that. A couple weeks ago, Tom Lipinski was up here talking about how the deacons were challenging this congregation uh, to consider donating $20 gift cards to purchase turkeys uh, for people here in the community. I don't know what the exact count is right now, but I know the 21 we are trying to match it with has been well exceeded, and I was handed a card this morning to go along with that collection. It's going to be something in the neighborhood of north of 50 turkeys are going to be added to those groceries to go to the Highline Area Food Bank. Those types of efforts, those movements of generosity, when you put uh, money in the, in the box back there, you donate online, when you go across the aisle and you, you welcome a friend, a new friend, a former friend, a long-term friend. Uh, When we do these things, we step outside of ourselves and we offer love and hope and resources and we do so generously, we live into this idea of Jesus' community. And I'm asking myself the question, can I be more charitable because of what I've heard in Galatians? And I see some real encouragement and invitation to do so. The second thing for Galatians, and this is the final word on Galatians, It's also the first word on Galatians. When you read the book and you start out, if you remember how it started in chapter 1, verse 3, grace to you. Is there a more appropriate word for the book of Galatians than grace? We talk about people that are conspiring and thinking, how do we do something to be included? What is it that we can do to ourselves? And here that it's grace that has rescued us and claimed us and welcomes us home. But if we read in chapter 6, verse 18, the final word is also grace. That Paul says to this audience, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So the book begins with grace, it ends with grace, and it talks about grace in Jesus Christ crucified all throughout. And that would seem altogether consistent with where we want to be as grace revealers. We've made that our vision, we've made that our purpose statement as an organization, as a church. But here's the thing. Vision statements like these have weaknesses. We don't need to be grace revealers. Wait a second. The pastor just said we don't have to be the mission statement. (laughs) What are you doing, Jimmy? We don't have to be grace revealers. Here's what I mean. God has already revealed grace in Jesus Christ. We're called to be witnesses. Our response is to witness 
to God's grace, to bear witness. And I think N.T. Wright captures this, this idea of what it looks like to be witnesses in the most appropriate way. And so we end with this. A church formed by a reading of Galatians will be a church with Jesus at the center. A church called by love, shaped by love, and striving to live by love. That sounds like a powerful mission statement. That's where I want to be. Don't you? Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. That's right. By God's grace, may we live into that reality each and every day, this day and forevermore. Friends, let us pray together.